Welcome to What the If. I am Philip Shane, documentary filmmaker, fan of science, rather ignorant about today's topic. Matthew Stanley, my co-host, is here. Similarly ignorant. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. This is going to be a good one. We have a very special guest today, and I'm really I'm honored that you're here, Carl Zimmer. How are you, Carl? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know how you don't know, Carl's an, award, <laughs> an award-winning New York Times columnist and author of 13 books about science. 13. 13. That's a big number. Yeah, mm. that's a lucky number. <laughs> His newest book is She Has Her Mother's Laugh, The Powers, Perversions, and Potential of Heredity. We're a big fan of subtitles here, by the way. That is a good one. Well, uh, my, my wife gets all the credit for that. <laughs> oh, sorry. She's the designated subtitler in the family. Um, there are plenty of times where she's come through in the pinch. Yeah. <laughs> Saved me from, from a sea of bad words. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know for, for search engine optimization, bad words, I think. Uh, no, just, just mediocre words. Mediocre. Say. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's very good. See, for a writer, nothing, there's nothing worse than mediocre words. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So sometimes she'll walk in and be like, no, I think what you want to say is this. And I'll say, yes, of course. So that is what I want to say. <laughs> How long have you been doing this, science writing? Uh, a long time. Um, almost 30 years now. Yeah. Wow. Is that right? Yes, almost 30 years. Yeah, I started at Discover Magazine a couple of years out of college, and I was there for about 10 years, and then started writing for different magazines and like National Geographic and so on. And then I started writing for the New York Times, and I've been doing a column there pretty much every week for about six years now. And I'm a big fan of the New York Times and a subscriber. Oh, I should See, hope so. <laughs> keep it up. Keep it up. Thank you. We all thank you. <laughs> Carl, you, you come with an absolutely fascinating if today, which is what the if... Everybody could crisper their baby. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it's slightly unsettling, depending on how hungry it makes you. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean to crisper your baby? <laughs> CRISPR is a technology that exists now. We don't have to talk about the future. CRISPR is here. It's now. What CRISPR lets you do is it lets you um, zero in on pretty pretty much any uh, piece of DNA and cut it out and even potentially replace it with something else. So, so, so we've that's been CRISPR. able to mess with DNA for a while now. What's different about CRISPR from previous techniques? In the nineteen 19- 70s, scientists started doing what 
what came to be kind of informally known as genetic engineering. And really what they were doing was they would they would take like a whole gene or, or a whole big stretch of DNA from one organism and just put it in another organism. And so, you know, the 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 big hallmark example of that actually came out of trying to help people with diabetes. Because up until the 70s, if you wanted insulin, you had to go find a pancreas, a pancreas of a cow or a sheep. These pancreases would be harvested from slaughterhouses and tiny bits of insulin would be extracted from each one. And that was it. That was our insulin supply. So some scientists said, well, okay, well, what if we take the human gene for insulin and insert it into E. coli bacteria, fill up fermentation tanks with them, and they'll just churn out human insulin in huge amounts. And so now more than half of people today who have diabetes and use insulin, that insulin comes from bacteria. And, oh, cool. and then later on, you know, there were genetically modified crops, and very often it was a similar thing where a gene from, say, a different species was put into a crop to give it some trait that people were looking for, a resistance to a pesticide or, you know, freeze tolerance or what have you. But again, pretty crude in the sense that you're taking an existing gene and moving it. What makes CRISPR particularly potent is that scientists know not only now how to cut out a specific piece of DNA, but they can synthesize bigger and bigger pieces of DNA. Ah, okay. You might say, okay, there's this one base, this one letter in our 3 billion base pairs of DNA that I want to change. I want to change it, say, from an A to a C. And you can do that. Or you could say, well, there's this 100 base pair long stretch that I want to change. So I'm just going to type out what I want, and then it's going to get synthesized. And now I'm going to have this custom-made little piece of DNA, and now I can swap it directly into for the piece that I don't want. Imagine that all you could do was cut and paste like whole paragraphs and move them from one book to another. You know, mm -hmm. now, now we can finally type. Yeah, now you can just rewrite parts of the book. Whoa. I mean, it was only discovered a few years ago. You know, bacteria use it. It's been around for billions of years. They, they use it to identify invading viral... Uh, viruses and identify their genes and destroy them. It was just a few, in the past few years that scientists said, oh, wow, we can adopt this, adapt it, make it a tool. So it's in widespread practice now. So, for example, if you study some disease like Parkinson's and uh, or, or like let's talk about like a genetic disorder like uh, hemophilia and you want to create a mouse model of that. So you can actually like say like, all right, I'm going to put in the exact mutation I want to study and the exact gene I want to study that produces the, the symptoms of this disease. You put that into a mouse embryo, boom, you make a line of mice to study, which is incredibly accelerating research. Because it used to be that you just had to breed mice, you had to look for interesting mutations, and maybe that might be useful. 
So it's much faster now. Another place where it's being used is, is research on food. So there are actually CRISPR altered crops that now are being tested, potatoes and mushrooms and things like that. The place where clinical trials on people are starting is uh, to treat hereditary diseases like sickle cell anemia. Mm. So, let, so the idea is like, let's take some cells from people, take some of their blood stem cells, and change a mutation that they have so that they are able to make hemoglobin and then put mm-hmm. those cells back in their bone marrow. And then the idea is like maybe they'll have this sort of, they'll be able to produce a new supply of blood cells that have normal hemoglobin. Now, there have been some experiments on human embryos, again, tiny little clumps of cells, where people have said, do they have the ability to go in and change DNA, like the DNA that we want to change? It looks like it looks like it works. It looks like we can look it, you know, there are, there are some questions about how precise it is. Um, but you know, I think those are, those are more detailed questions. It, it looks like if we, if we wanted to tinker with the DNA of human embryos, we could do it. Mm. Wow. Would that have to be done in a Petri dish or something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Think about think about IVF. Think about, you know, test tube babies. Think about what that involves. I mean, what that involves is uh, getting eggs from a mother and getting sperm from the father and then combining them in a dish and letting that conception process, the fertilization process happen. Right. And then and then either on that single cell or on, you know, maybe a couple when it's at a couple cell stage, you add in these CRISPR molecules that go into the cell or the cells and they change the gene you want to change. Now, scientists can keep human embryos growing in a dish for maybe a couple weeks. That, that's sort of like mm, okay. at, out at the, at, the, at the edge. And then they just sort of peter out. Nobody knows how to keep them going after that. Uh-huh. But, you know, in IVF, what happens is that much sooner than that, those get implanted in, in a woman's uterus, and then they, they develop from there. So basically, it would be just IVF plus CRISPR. Essentially, you can debug the program before you set it running, as far as the DNA we fix that the code. sounds like it doesn't even that's, have to be that's, debug, the, right? that's the idea well that's uh, i mean uh, if you're talking you know if, if you're talking about something let's say like sickle cell anemia i mean I, I think that you know people would say like yeah that's a that's a bug in the program i'm i, I would imagine that people with sickle cell anemia would say like yeah i i would rather not have that particular uh you know mutation in my dna but you know we do know that the whole process we're talking about has happened at least, at least, uh, well, uh, maybe three or four times. We know that somebody's already done this. So, okay, hey, uh, Chinese scientist Hei Junku decided last year that um, he wasn't going to wait for 
ethical issues to be sorted out or for the science to be advanced any further, he was ready to go. He altered or he tried to alter a gene in, in human embryos and implanted them. We know of two girls who were born last fall. Supposedly, there was another, at least another woman who was pregnant with these CRISPR babies, but nobody knows. We have crossed that line, although, you know, there's a lot, nobody really knows how that experiment ended up in the sense that there's a lot of question about whether the scientist actually changed the gene the way he intended to change it. He might have Mm. put a mutation in a different part of the gene with unknown consequences. Wow. So it's either a bug or a feature depending on how, whether this is a positive or negative, <laughs> your, right. your attitude towards this thing. And I think as far as the bug part is, in other words, fixing uh, known diseases, you know, anything that we've seen in the family, you know, hered- uh, the family up to this point, it's like, well, we don't want to pass that on. Obviously, we're going to try to cure that. The feature part of it, where we now say, okay, we're not just taking care of uh, terrible things, but we were going to improve. Essentially, I can go right to, it leads to kind of a master race kind of situation, right? Yeah, well, we can start changing, right? So I think one of the things we need to, to ponder here is that what counts as improvement changes is, is different for lots of different people, right? True. True. But speaking in broad terms, I'd say, for instance, one thing would be you would want someone who is stronger, let's say. If you would want your... Matt, for instance, you have twins. Not that they are not strong already, but you are a karate instructor. It's one of the many things people... One of your superpowers. Uh, that's your, well, at least a, a moderate power, if not super. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> if you could have kids that were super at karate, better, even better physically, would you have chosen such a thing? <laughs> well, sure. So Carl, what do you think about the, uh, uh, finding the karate gene? <laughs> Well, uh, let me put it this way. I'm going to sort of keep on going with my life while I wait for you to find the karate gene, okay? Um, <laughs> You're not going to dedicate your... Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, there are other things that I'd like to do in the, you know, 20, 50,000 years that it takes you to find the karate gene. Because actually, I don't think there is a karate gene. There might be thousands of genes that, in one variant or another, might overall in a population of people give certain traits that might be good in karate if mm-hmm. you also spent 10 15 20 years learning karate you know what i'm saying so i was being fl- I, I was admittedly being flipped there so my you're bad fl- you're you're no no not your bad no this is how this is how a lot of people talk about this yeah. stuff mm-hmm. You know, I when I've been talking about She Has Her Mother's Laugh, I talk about sort of, you know, the history of how we have dealt with our heredity. 
and what our heredity means to us and and then talk about how that might drive our choices in the future about things like CRISPR. People will say like, oh, but then everybody is going to want to get a gene in their kid to make them a super athlete. And I'll say, tell me, what is this gene? And they're like, well, I'm sure it's out there. And, you know, look, people have been, trust me, people have been looking. It's, you know, there are, you know, there certainly are genes that, that where there are variants that are associated with things that are, are linked to performance. And it's funny because like, you know, you can find certain variants, certain genes that are, as scientists say, overrepresented among athletes so that they, they tend to have this variant of a gene more often than other people. But is that, does that make them athletes? As part of my book, you know, I got my genome sequenced and went to a bunch of geneticists to kind of help them help me understand what was in my genome and to thereby better understand genetics in general. One of the things that turned up is that I, too, have one of these genes for, like, muscle power. Oh, Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. My muscles are built for power, I I was informed, which anybody who knows me would be laughing right now because (laughs) I am no great athlete. If you are a prospective parent and your doctor says, oh, hey, here's this gene, and for just an extra $10,000, I'll rewrite it so that you have the one that these athletes have. Probably $10,000 you just wasted um, because your kid may very well not be an athlete. And you, of course, this parent, are going to have all these expectations. <laughs> We're talking about the pressure on the kid. Look, we, we literally spent $10,000 for you. <laughs> Get started on being an awesome athlete. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad enough we have these parents who get bent out of shape when they spend a lot of money on their kids for their SAT test, you know, <laughs> this is going to take us to the next level. It's interesting, right? You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because that is kind of the same thing for those maybe outside the U.S. or whatever. We, we've had a little scandal recently <laughs> here where uh, some very wealthy parents, some of them celebrities, paid, bribed basically people at universities, elite universities, to get their kids admitted to the university, maybe because, I don't know if they had actually gotten rejected, but at the very least, there was a sense that they couldn't get in automatically. They also had people actually sitting next to the kids while they were taking their uh, SAT examinations and correct answers that they were getting wrong. They were like physically there in the room. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So that that's actually perfect confirmation, I would say, of the hypothesis that when parents, to their credit, on an individual basis, uh, at least, will do whatever they can to, to give their kids the best advantages. That was like a huge leap forward. If we take a little step back and say, where do you think, <laughs> in terms of the, like I said, this sort of sense of improvement or designer babies kind of thing. Where would that logically begin? 
the first step in this timeline would have to be going from where we are now that first step towards kind of widespread use of CRISPR for babies. Because the thing is that right now we've had a few babies that have been CRISPRed and it has led to, you know, worldwide condemnation. Uh, the scientist has basically disappeared uh, in, in house arrest. So what would it take to sort of get beyond that? The first thing if you look at, you know, reports from like the National Academy of Sciences and other places, there, there's a very small number of situations where you could make a medical justification to do this. And these would be, let's imagine that we had like two people with Huntington's disease. All their children would inherit Huntington's disease, mm. guaranteed. So what that means is that there's no alternative to try to avoid the kids having Huntington's disease. Like right now, if one person with Huntington's disease and someone without it get married uh, and have kids, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that each child inherits the Huntington's disease mutation from that one parent. You could, with an IVF, you know, we have it, it is possible to just look at eggs or look at sperm and say, like, okay, that one has a mutation, that one doesn't. Let's just use the ones that don't have the mutation. So you can basically like just sort your sperm or eggs in advance of doing IVF. Done. Okay. That makes sense. So if for some reason every sperm or every egg or both all had a Huntington's disease mutation in it, then you gotta think of something else. And there you could see a justification, maybe, for doing this. And we know exactly the gene. And if you could ensure that, it, that you were, every time you used CRISPR, you hit the target you wanted and made the change you wanted, that might happen. And so it would be a super, super duper rare procedure. That would be the first step. But then, you know, once you... <laughs> You know, maybe you start getting a kind of like off-label use, you know, like uh, <laughs> you have to remember, like, this isn't this isn't that complicated. So Hei Jung-Q, uh, the Chinese scientist who's done this, like he he's not a doctor. He's not even really a biologist. He was trained in physics, but he, he just really got into CRISPR, taught himself the tools and then teamed up with some IVF people who didn't apparently didn't quite know what they were getting into and they were off to the races so yeah so this so is, is not... this easy like average person with a bachelor's degree in chemistry can teach themselves to do it or are we going to have crisper parties like we have tupperware parties <laughs> uh what are we selling yeah, at the crisper party is it like oh i have a baby with this and a baby with that? well yeah i think so wow See, none of I don't. None of my friends that I know of, you know, keep petri dishes of human eggs at their house. Maybe, oh. you, you, well, maybe you, you, you run with a different crowd. I don't know. I don't know. But no, it's not Connecticut. I, it's say, so it, Connecticut is yeah. just so uh, placid. You know, definitely down here. I mean, Matt's in the village somewhere yeah, in the village. Yeah. All kinds of petri dishes. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's it's easy but not that easy let me put it that way it's okay. easy it's easy it's so it's it's easy enough that um if if there was pressure and demand um you could see things starting to spread out from those super rare treatments for definite fatal hereditary diseases you you could see that as as sort of like the you know you know the, the camel's nose in the tent Right. Okay. And I think All what right. we can say is also here as part of the if uh, the idea is always that we say we we there's one thing we allow ourselves, one sort of magical or hand wavium or you know uh, strange <laughs> thing, and then everything else stays legit. So let's say what the if. CRISPR turns out to be a totally safe technique. It's almost, again, the exact equivalent of the parents who, you know, will do anything. They'll spend vast sums of money to get their kids into the best college. It could even be far less expensive. Cheaper than a tutor. Biologically, what's the most logical early positive things that you you could do like for instance you said you mentioned being an athlete involves like a lot of different things and it's a little bit amorphous but is there a gene to say make give you stronger muscles or even better eyesight what part of the body might be the the first to be improved i can see a couple different ways that things could go i mean there isn't actually a, a sort of a clean line that divides preventing hereditary diseases from sort of promoting health. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are genes that you know, there's a gene called HTT, and if you have a certain kind of mutation in it, you're going to get Hunting's disease. But then there, you know, there are certain genes, if you inherit them, so like there's a BRCA1 gene, if you have certain mutations on it, then you're not 100% going to get cancer. But women who have it are just at a much higher likelihood of getting cancer at some point later in life. You know, then there are genes that might increase your chances of getting Alzheimer's. There are also genes that people have found that seem to lower your chances of getting some of these sort of uh, late-in-life type diseases. So there was a study in Iceland where, which is a very interesting place to study because people are very sort of genetically uniform and there's a good genealogy there. And they found that there were certain people who carried a certain gene uh, mutation that actually much made their odds of getting Alzheimer's much lower than everybody else. Mm. So, uh, why wouldn't you want to give that to your kid? It would, now, it, see, would it would be like, like an it would be like an Alzheimer's vaccine. Yeah, I, I unfortunately I feel like you're you're way giving way too much credit to people. In the sense that I feel like people are going to be less concerned about promoting health and more making sure that their kid is pretty, right? Or has no, you're right. You're right. Hair. No, you're right. No, you're right about that. You're right about that. But let's think about like how would 
I don't, uh, well, actually, no, you're, I, I'm going to disagree with you. If you look at survey data, if you look at survey data, all the survey data shows that there's actually right now, there's a big opposition to that sort of, we'll call it cosmetic CRISPR. People don't want that, but they're, mm -hmm. they're surprisingly okay with germline, um, modifications, germline CRISPR to prevent diseases or, or to reduce the odds of diseases to promote health. So I actually, I don't, if someone said like, oh, you know, went to the FDA and said, I would like you to approve, you know, my treatment to make beautiful babies, the mm -hmm. FDA would probably say, no, 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 that's not going to happen. In, in the future I'm seeing, the, the fact is that there is, there's no, there's no bit. People, the National Academy of Sciences has already said that that they could see it being okay to treat really, really these rare cases of really severe disease with CRISPR, with CRISPR, mm -hmm. ba making CRISPR babies to that end. And I'm what I'm arguing is that there's not any sort of hard barrier between that and, say, a more sort of like vaccine type approach to promote health in people, you know. Mm -hmm. There could very well be things that you could do to dramatically lower people's rate of Alzheimer's. Look, and we have an Alzheimer's tsunami about to hit us, and we have no treatments for, for Alzheimer's. Maybe this is the best way to save our whole medical system from collapse. Huh. Okay. Maybe I'm more cynical, as also where Matt's coming from, sort of feeling that, like, People would say that, yeah, we don't want beautiful baby, we don't want cosmetic, cosmetic CRISPR for everybody else except my kids. Except for me. <laughs> I mean, well, just sort of secretly, right? Like, you know, yeah. if it was available to me. Just like I'm sure those parents who, who paid all that money to get their kids in would agree that it was unfair, you know, and, and right. probably felt guilty a little bit some of the you know there's a spectrum of guilt yeah. among them you know i think it, it's that kind of thing there's plenty of things like that in our society where we're that way yeah well there, there's been actually there's been there's a philosopher uh who um has been thinking about trying to imagine this kind of future and he has been thinking about whether maybe it's going to be people are going to treat their babies like iPhones and oh. in the sense, yeah. in the sense that like, you know, when you're thinking, Oh, I think maybe I should buy an iPhone. Um, you might wonder like, well, yeah, but if I get one now, is it going to have all the features that might be around next year? You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because like this, you know, this science has this habit of improving. So do you want to have your baby now with, with the kind of CRISPR uh, technology that we can offer at this point, or do you want to wait five years? Because you know the the you can have the equivalent of a you know an iPhone eleven of a human being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I well, don't know. I mean, I suggestion is it suggests kind of a deflationary spiral where people would would wait for the next great gene to get made available to constantly be waiting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's, okay, so this here we now we've arrived <laughs> at a really good place to lock in and jump forward. Okay. The world has evolved now to where companies like Apple 
but I won't stick Apple with this. Let's, you know, there's a company called uh, um, Bottle. Company's name is Bottle, and Bottle is the world is now the world's largest corporation. Mm-hmm. Okay, because what it offered is magical and beautiful. That really did put a dent in the universe and changed things. I mean, this isn't so far off, right? I mean, the technique that this idea that. If it becomes available and it becomes inexpensive and it becomes commonplace that, as you said, parents would want different things for their, you know, different parents would want different things for their kids. Some would only want to change a tiny thing. Others might go more boldly. But at a certain point, it is, seems to be inevitable that it's going to start a, a race of some kind. A comp- I, I don't mean race like, <laughs> as in racial i mean like space race contest yeah a contest yeah in society between those who have been mutated in in a certain basically we're talking about like post-humanism or you know all this sort of stuff right so actually my question for you then carl is actually do you think like you're you know you know the science fiction scenarios of uh, how those things can play out are those inevitable or highly unlikely when you extrapolate way forward with this CRISPR technology, where do you see that going? <laughs> Not where do you want uh, it to go or where, you know, but I mean, just sort of logically based on the way human behavior seems to go. I, I, uh, I, I, um, I, I'm not a I, I I'm not a super eager super eager science fiction person on oh. this score just because no no be, just just because it it when people talk about the you know talk about the science fiction scenarios um, they are talking about changing really complex traits ah we mentioned athletic performance intelligence is a, is a, an incredibly complex trait. Uh, and so to think that you can just go in and turn one bolt and then all of a sudden, voila, baby Einstein is unbelievably naive. Now, naivete has not stopped people from making a lot of money in the past. <laughs> and right now we're, we're seeing a new version of that a, a biotech version of that right now. Right now, we've got these stem cell clinics in the United States that are making all sorts of unwarranted claims about what they can do, how they can rejuvenate you, how they can make make you beautiful or make re- rebuild your strength or, or take away your pain. We'll just shoot these stem cells, these magic stem cells into your knee or your or your neck or whatever. And the FDA is having a horrible time trying to keep up with them. Like they should, none of them should be doing this. But they're making so much money that they can pay lawyers to keep the FDA at bay while they go and make more money. And this is happening right now. And it's a real, it's really sad because stem cells. I mean, stem cells are real, and stem cell research is really important. It just so happens that the science of stem cells is complicated, and scientists have not really sort of mastered it. And that's fine, but. What's not fine is for people to get for their health to be put in risk and to to and to have to pay fifty or hundred thousand dollars for a treatment that might not really do anything at all. So that I would take that and 
put that into the future because we have IVF clinics. CRISPR is easy. And so I can totally imagine a future in which snake oil salesmen are making all sorts of ridiculous promises playing on people's sort of naive view of heredity. And we're going to have kids paying the price. We'll have human beings paying the price for off-target CRISPR, for, uh, you know, on-target CRISPR that doesn't deliver the results that the parents had been hoping for or whatever, and it'll be fueled by this desire, you know, that parents have for the very best for their children. I, that's my dystopian feature, and it and it makes me kind of angry because I'm angry right now with how what's happening <laughs> with stem cells. Oh, uh, that's interesting. And so it's <laughs> the kids... There's a, there's a spectrum there too, where kids actually have you know developed dangerous uh, physical problems because of the, the gene editing, and then there's even just the thing of, <laughs> I mean, only slight, only half kidding of like the parents, even if there's nothing physically wrong with the kids, saying you know, we expected you the the expectation <laughs> factor the parents have anyway, yeah, but here with this r- r- very targeted uh, expectation. Right. And you could imagine the clinics, you know, saying to these angry parents, like, well, if you had read the, um, you know, the terms and conditions, you know, the, you know, we were just basing, we were just basing this on this study that shows that, you know, that, that changing this one gene on average over the population raises, I, you know, intelligent test scores, IQ test scores by, you know, one point. So here's the thing is that, you know, the, 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 the ugly truth about this research, it's good, you know, the research is good, but you have to really like dig into it. So if you look at, you know, let's take one of these, one of these variants and one of these genes that has been shown on average to like, you know, push an, an intelligence test score, let's say by one point. But if you really look at, at the full effect in thousands of people, you'll see, you'll see that, you know, the classic bell curve of effects. In other words, what that means is that in some people, having this variant might be associated with a lower test score than if oh. they otherwise <laughs> didn't have it. Wow. And I'm awesome. sure you don't get your money back. There's no one do. Yeah. You're about to, you're about to uh, edit your child's DNA. Okay? Or cancel? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the EULA... You yeah. Think it, yeah, you think the terms and conditions on your iPhone are bad? Yeah, man, wait for your baby. Did you even read the conditions before you modified your baby? Yeah, yeah. One thing that keeps striking me here is we keep talking about it's sort of set it and forget it. It's kind of like, well, that's it. You're born with that, and now you go. Is it possible, do we know if it's possible to change during your life, to to change your genetics to improve something in other words could you can you do mid-course corrections well you know here's an interesting case it's actually my own story um i was born unable to read did you know that no (laughs) yeah i did not apparently my genes my genes did not allow me to read but then after several years of high-tech treatment known as school um (laughs) i gained this ability to read how about that you know so yes, we can actually sort of, um, sort of uh, overcome, as it were, our genes. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, 
if if somebody is born into a neighborhood where the water is loaded with lead and there's a lot of crime in the streets and and the schools are crappy, it's not on that baby to fix all those things. And it's, it's on the rest of us <laughs> to try to fix it. Yeah. And it will make that per, that baby's life better. All right, nice. Yeah, that's a lot of stress to put on a baby. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and in a way, what I don't like about all of our sort of um, the way we as a society think about and talk about CRISPR, it sort of implies that anything that you don't quite like about your life has to be reduced to the level of talking about our own gene on a personal level. And I just think that sort of deflates life itself. Interesting. Interesting. So in your most optimistic scenario, how does it, how do things turn out? Let's say 500 years from now. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Most optimistic, most optimistic view is that most optimistic view is that uh, everyone is able to get um, access to medical care and preventive care that lets them live healthy lives. You know, you you live till you're ninety or hundred, and then you drop dead, but you're really good up till then. And part of that would involve sort of a careful choice of CRISPR targets. So like, I, you know, if, if we're going to have a happy CRISPR future, it w- I think it would be a future where we say, okay, let's, you know, let's, here, here's a, here's a list of things that we can, that we can, where we can lessen potential suffering. We can't eliminate Alzheimer's, but here, here's a change that we can make embryos so that they're much less likely to get Alzheimer's because I don't, I just don't see an upside to Alzheimer's. <laughs> and yep. right. So you just, you'd have, have a list of those oh, sort of vaccine style CRISPR targets. And, and then we leave, we respect human. We also respect human diversity. Mm. Don't we, we don't say, we don't, we don't get into like changing people's height because somehow tall people are better people. Well, we know we know that's not true. <laughs> As I say, at five foot three. Well, you know, not to just not to zip back to the present day, but think about how many parents try to get their kids, you know, growth hormone. That's a big thing now. Huh. And we know we know a lot of the genes that are involved with height. People would go for it. I don't think they should be. I I don't think they should be allowed to. I I, I just don't. Like, imagine that all of a sudden, like, people were saying, like, I'd like to, um, I'd like to know what you have in terms of skin color. Yep. That seems inevitable, right? Because that's something that's very genetically determined. I don't think we should be, I don't think we should, I don't, I don't think we should be, you know, enabling age old racist motivations with new technology. So that, that's, that's my CRISPR future. Yeah, no, I pres- I actually I, I I could see that. I'm hopeful there that if the society carries these values, that those kind of things, as you say, with vaccines and things like that, we've had plenty of things where there are just generally used for making things better overall and not used to the extreme. It's sort of like cheating and you know, like drug. What do you call it? Uh, athletes using uh, cheating and. Yeah, doping kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Doping, exactly. Mm-hmm. And we do crack down on it. So if we could maintain the integrity of humanity in the same way we 
seem to try to maintain the integrity of our athletic uh, programs, that would be a start. Uh, it does seem like we care more about our athletes than um, humanity as a whole. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's tricky and i'm sure that you know the if some bioethicist hears me describing that rosy future they might say like wait a minute you've forgotten x y and z this is tricky stuff to be thinking about you know like what happens if we feel like we're in a server like a in the in the down the line we're in some sort of horrific climate crisis that's even worse than now and people say like well you know humans have to problem is that humans have too much of too high of a metabolism so we're gonna have to like lower everyone's metabolism and like you know people can you know can only grow to be a maximum of 70 pounds or so i don't know i don't know like yeah, just like I, I you know like we're talking science fiction here so and i mean people have people have talked about this kind of thing in terms of space people were to go into space and try to reach you know another solar system would there be, would you need a kind of human biology to survive for generations in space that we just ha haven't achieved here on Earth? Mm -hmm. It'd certainly be helpful. Yeah. So is it okay to do that then? Uh, you know, to radiation-proof people? You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I feel like what was implicit in your looking for the positive vision of the future is that the society has to maintain, you know, enough of people have to be aware of these values. Yeah. I think, I think we're, you know, I think we're learning with things like YouTube and Facebook that just sort of setting some engineers on a challenge doesn't automatically make the world a uniformly better place. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have these engineers who, who lack, firm training in ethics in social science and the rest of it then you then the, these things kind of just veer off in really bad directions I, I think with crispr we could just end up i don't know what the cambridge analytica of crispr would be but mm. we, yeah, we could have like that yeah 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 well that's interesting actually you say that because it's sort of like it this experiment we just did this sort of thought experiment and taking it to the extremes actually makes a very clear, easy to, to grasp and actually feel at a visceral level the sense of how the values of society get reflected in the technology. Like you talk about, yeah, engineers, engineers yep. who right. built social media, the just the engineer engineers, you know, were going for one thing. They just try literally a technical solution and someone else will worry about how it's used they they do that but then there's the uh kind of the business people which could be one and the same with uh, the the leaders of these technology companies but there's a business motive so you have a whole you know a massive sort of uh profit motive that takes on it that has its own values and all these different values clash and then there's the values of the citizens we have to say is this cool is this not you know right we we think about we think in this country about things like crispr as in terms of how the marketplace might steer it off in some unexpected direction that reflects our own sort of social situation but you know like what about a place like um, singapore um which is a you know technologically advanced um mm -hmm. fairly autocratic 
government. So, you know, what if they decide, you know, we've done the calculations on how, how much we spend on public health and we've decided everyone needs to get this or, you know, or we've decided that for the good, for the overall good of the economy, everyone is going to have to get this CRISPR change on their babies. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not claiming Singapore is going to do this anytime soon. And I, I don't mean to, I'm not cutting down uh, totally Singaporeans, yeah. but I'm just saying like, imagine a, a, a technologically advanced authoritarian government I mean that you know that was that was the nightmare of eugenics earlier you know like in the last century it wasn't a sort of a marketplace thing it was a, what would authoritarian governments like Nazi Germany do if they gained this power and we kind of know uh, how things worked out with the Nazis so <laughs> yeah 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 although the crazy thing there was that the technology wasn't there yet and the amazing thing is yeah now, they just kind of pretended it was. Yeah. Well, they've tried. They, you know, they were using yeah. uh, uh, the best Murder. and the worst they could. Um, well, although although they did have, the, I mean, they they actually did have the sort of the flip side of that. Uh, you know, so yes, they were exterminating people, they were sterilizing people, and then the flip side was that they were picking up people they decided were desirable and creating these, you know, weird sort of colonies or programs for them to have kids. It was much, it was, you know, it was a small program, but, you know, there are still people alive today who are the products of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can say we can, there is a positive note here, is that messing around with genetics has always been possible. Now, that's a good example, that they didn't have CRISPR, now, throughout this time, throughout the history of humanity, the idea of uh, just using old-fashioned breeding or forced, you know, forcing certain traits to grow in a society if that's the trait you want has not really been a huge thing there's been these these there aren't many examples like the nazis fortunately of all that craziness so that gives yeah, me hope. That's, that's a good we, sign we, that's a good <laughs> sign <laughs> i you know what i'm just not feeling too comforted <laughs> <laughs> yes the democratization that's what happens to see that you get technology de democratization of technology and then the auto autocrat autocratization <laughs> the yeah, autocrats grab yeah. that democratized stuff and they use it for yeah. their own and then they turn that's it true yeah 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 as so they want to do yes that yeah. is our that is why we fight <laughs> by savings bonds u.s savings bonds well, you know, at, at the very least, you know, what I, 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 for whatever, you know, to deal with all these possible futures, I mean, at the very least, you know, people need, people need to really to learn about this stuff called CRISPR. I it's, mean, we, I mean, yes, we, there's, you know, we got to know right should, now. Somebody should write a book to help <laughs> educate some people about this. If you have any suggestions. That's a brilliant idea. I have an idea or two. <laughs> I can recommend a book. Called She Has Her Mother's Laugh. What a good idea. Yeah. And he, you know, what's even greater is the subtitle, The Powers, Perversions, and Potential of Heredity. And where can, people can buy that everywhere, I'm assuming. That's right. Uh, wherever fine books are sold. Indeed. Where, where can people find you on the internets? The best place is my own website, carlzimmer.com. All right. And that's Zimmer with two M's. Yep. Carl with a C. Carl, oh yes, indeed. Carl with a C and a, and a Z for yep. those of us outside the United States who don't understand what a Z is. 
<laughs> You're on Twitter as well. I am, yeah, Carl Zimmer on Twitter. What are you working on right now? Or anything uh, you want to talk about that's coming up, or events, or articles? I'm going to be giving some more talks about uh, about heredity, um, and those are on my website. Going through the next few months, yeah. Right now, I'm I'm focusing on on a lot of stuff for the Times. Just wrote a very depressing article about uh, how North America is losing a lot of its birds. So, you know, the biology beat is sometimes scary, sometimes exciting, and sometimes very depressing. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Although I'm writing that down, so what the if? What the if there were no birds? Yeah. That's gonna... uh, Matt, how about you? Anything uh, coming up? Uh, let's see here. By the time this goes up, um, I'll have upcoming lectures in Kansas City and Denver in the middle of October. Ooh, fantastic. One, uh, one place with excellent barbecue mm-hmm. and another with, I suppose, excellent beer. Uh, yes, that's right. Denver. And other... Um, uh, other recreational chemicals, I believe. <laughs> That's true. All kinds of edible treats. All right. Carl, thank you so much. Honestly, this was a real honor and a real treat to be able to, to have you on. Um, oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely fascinating. Visit carlzimmer.com. Look for his book. She has her mother's laugh. Get it now. Learn. Uh, live, learn, and laugh. <laughs> while you while you still can, uh, or perhaps you know your children or grandchildren will get the laughter gene. So, as a part time comedian, actually, that would be a positive thing. <laughs> I think I'll go for that. Yeah, that could be very handy. Just read a whole audience. Yeah. Exactly. And in gratitude, Carl, you are going to receive a finger puppet from us at the What the If Worldwide Studios from the uh, Unemployed Philosophers Guild. Which is a company you probably, I, I don't know if you know them by that name, but you probably know their toys. They, they make all these really, as they say, smart, funny toys for smart, funny people. So you will get a finger puppet of a delightful scientist or perhaps science fiction character. We don't know. All right. It will be right. something for you. And uh, for you and your family and all our listeners out there, just because they're uh, happy to support our show and, and they appreciate you. You can get 10% off if you go to philosophersguild.com and use the coupon code WTIF, 10% off anything, not just finger puppets. Go crazy. They have actually one thing I discovered there, just, just the other day is a new thing, a mug with Einstein's pic, it's Einstein standing in front of a blackboard. But the mug comes with a piece of chalk, and you, you can actually write on that blackboard. Oh, that's pretty cool. Nice. So I think, you know, as far as like a physicist goes with just, you know, a hot tea and a, uh, or coffee and a chalkboard, you're done. Yeah, sometimes that's, you have to do your calculations while you're uh, having your morning coffee. That's right. That's like a physicist's life in a box right there. <laughs> that may be a roof over your head. Uh, go to our website, whattheif.com, and you can listen to uh, all our episodes. You can learn all about them. You can learn about who are these crazy people who are talking to you right now. And you can subscribe. So please subscribe if you haven't done already, wherever you are listening to your podcasts. By the way, a special shout out to those of you who are listening using the awesome podcast player Overcast, which I've been mm. using for a long time. It's a great one. Um, Marco Arment, the creator of that, sole creator of this amazing program. And I know we have a huge number of people who are um, I'm asking people where do they find the show. And a lot of them are talking about Overcast. I just realized that Overcast has a feature where you can recommend an episode. 
and the, you just oh, hit uh, okay. the little uh, share button as you're looking at the episode, and you can hit a gold star. And the more of those we get, the more people will know about it. So that's great. Also on Apple Podcasts and all that kind of stuff. Follow us on Twitter, What the If Show, and uh, and on Facebook. Next week, I don't know what's happening. We don't. Could know. be anything. It could yeah. be anything. I mean, if I could tweak the DNA of next week to to adjust what's coming, I would. But I can't. And actually, even if I did, I'm my skills would be so terrible, I probably wouldn't create a nightmare coming our way. And that's why, when we look into the future and we contemplate the variety of good and bad, the bell curve of possibilities is coming to ring on top of our heads and it forces us to scream into the wide empty universe and say what, what? the, the- <laughs> 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 <laughs>